Well, if you would, turn to Exodus chapter 6, verse 28. We've been moving through the life of Moses via the book of Exodus, which works well. Uh, in fact, Mr. Lou Gibbs even brought a rod to beat you with today. He thought you'd like to see a, a Moses staff um, straight from Egypt. Uh, it's over 4,000 years old. It's great. So anyway, <clears throat> you, not you, your rod. All right. <clears throat> Way to go. Well, um, we uh, hard to believe we only have three more weeks left after this. Do you realize that? And uh, what we're going to do, the fourth week, we end in three weeks, which is what, November the 15th. The following Tuesday, we're still going to meet. If you'd like, it's, we won't be studying a text. It'll just be a time of informal gathering. We'll have some treats, some goodies, and just a chance to we'll maybe do like a five-minute Devo and just spend some time in fellowship. So that we'll, we'll talk more about that later. But to, we'll then resume our study of Exodus in January. And, and in particular in the life of Moses. But verse 28 of chapter 6, uh, we've just uh, encountered, remember, uh, Moses objecting once again about his unclean lips, and he's trying to get out of this responsibility. And you'd think after the second objection, he's finally going to get it, but look what happens in verse 28. When the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, he said to him, I am the Lord. That is key. We saw that in Exodus 3. We've seen it several times. And, it, and in fact, it, uh, four, excuse me, five times, God will disclose to the Israelites, I am the Lord. And five times, He'll state that to the Egyptians. This is the God of, of not only Israel, but Egypt. Don't miss that. I was talking to, to Paul before the class, and he said, you know, or before our session this morning, he said, you know, there are a lot of Egyptians that probably turn to the Lord in the midst of this. And I, I would think so. I don't know how many frogs before you recognize this is something different than what I've encountered before, right? So the Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I'm telling you, but Moses said before the Lord. Now watch this. Fingernails across a blackboard. I speak with difficulty. The third time. Now at this point, if I was God, it would be, right? Moses, I'm done with you. Aaron, step up to the plate. Why should Pharaoh listen to me? So the Lord said to Moses, see, I have made you, watch this, like God to Pharaoh. And your brother Aaron will be your prophet. You are to speak all that I command you. This sounds familiar, doesn't it? God has not changed the message. This is what you're to do. And he says, and your brother Aaron is to speak to Pharaoh that he must release the Israelites from the land. But I, and this is very problematic, and this is what we're going to address today. God says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and although I will multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Why? Because God is making sure he won't listen. What do you do with that sucker? We'll get to it in a minute. And I will reach into Egypt and bring out my regiments. I love this. He's using military terms of the Israelites. I never think of the Israelites as a military force. Uh, they're slaves. My people, the Israelites, from the land of Egypt with great acts of judgment. Then the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I extend my hand over Egypt and bring out the Israelites from among them. And Moses and Aaron did so. They Watch this. They did just as the Lord commanded. It's going to be repeated in verse 10. They finally get it. Thank you, Moses. 
I don't know how many times it took you, you're finally doing what God commanded you to do. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, do a miracle, and you say to Aaron, take your rod and throw it down before Pharaoh, it will, it will become a snake. Literally in the Hebrew there, I think you could render it as cobra, an Egyptian cobra. When Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh, and we talked about snakes and the relationship to Egyptology last week, and that's in those notes if you want a copy. They did so just as the Lord had commanded them. Aaron threw down the rod before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a snake. Then Pharaoh also summoned wise men and sorcerers. And magi- I mean, he's pulling in his arsenal, his resources. Fine. I mean, ultimately, what? This is a cosmic battle. It's between God and Pharaoh. Who is the ruler of the, Egypt, or the uh, Israelites, right, at the end of the day. And Pharaoh pulls in his arsenal, and magic was prominent in Egypt in the 18th dynasty, and the secret arts. He did the same thing, which is incredible, right? They too can turn staffs into snakes. How they do it, I don't know. Move over uh, Copperfield or whoever. Each man threw down the rod, and the rods became snakes, but Aaron's rod swallowed up the rods. That's an interesting term. It's used later when the ground opens up and swallows some of the Israelites. Remember that? Um, it's also when death is swallowed up in victory <laughs> later in the New Testament. Yet Pharaoh's heart became hard and he did not listen to them just as the Lord had predicted. It's a powerful text. Let's back up. I want you to see, first of all, there in chapter 6, the latter part, I want you to see Moses here. Moses may complain that he can't speak well, but I don't know about you, he's quite verbose, and he has no problem articulating his views (laughs) three times. And I mentioned that in your notes. Um, The bottom line, he's unwilling to do what God wants or he's scared, I don't care whatever excuse you want to give, he's unwilling to do it. And in fact, there are three sins, and I I note these there in your notes. Moses discredits God's creation. Who made his lips? They may not work like Aaron's, but you have lips to use, and God thought you could use them. He created them to be used. And so, number one, he discredits God as the creator. Secondly, he discredits God's promises. We've already talked about this. The Lord had instructed Moses, this is what you will say, right? The text even says that here, right? Uh, And, and, you know, I will will tell you what you're going to say to them. Verse 2 of chapter 7. And then finally, they discredit God's provisions. (laughs) Moses is objecting a third time, and before the... Before we even got to Egypt, Aaron was on the scene, right? Uh, he, he was brought in as a relief hitter. We knew that. And, and yet, Moses is still having a problem. Well, you're not speaking, Moses. Aaron was given to you. So I, I don't know what your problem is. Well, we know what his problem is, right? <laughs> what is his problem? What's he scared of? Ultimately, being taken out, Right? Plus, just what happened What happened the last time he appeared before Pharaoh? Just a la- earlier part of chapter 6, what happened? What happened? What was Pharaoh's response? Remember? I'm getting blank stares. We need more coffee. What, what happened? Yes. What did, what did Pharaoh do to the Israelites? 
when Moses asked him to, to yeah, he said, take away the straw, right? And the Israelites turned on Moses and Aaron. <laughs> so it, it didn't go well. Uh, and so here you have this whole scene where, once again, I don't know about you, but this is God's grace. Because if I was the Lord, that'd have been it of Moses. He'd have been, we'd have been burying that sucker. In fact, I'd had the snake swallow him whole. You're done. You're gone. Aren't you glad I'm not the Lord? <laughs> Be merciful. Yeah, that's what my kids say. All right. Well, anyways, let's get back to the text then. And, and, and so here you have this interchange again. And God says to Moses, I'm in charge. You are going. But Aaron's, I, I told you Aaron's going with you. Aaron's going with you. And this is exactly how you're going to do this. And in fact... Why are you surprised Pharaoh's heart is not going to respond? I told you in the past I would harden his heart. And he repeats it. Notice he says this in verse 3, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. In your notes, under verses 1 and 2, I have a quote from Redford in his article on the kingship during the 18th dynasty. Uh, The Egyptian pharaohs can be placed in what we call these... these, um, It's kind of like the Tudors or the Stuarts. This is the dynasties, all right? And during this dynasty, 1400s, the Pharaoh was viewed, this is in your notes, as the strong man king, God's representative on earth, the image of the high God, the superior intellect. I mean, whoa, right? Not only is he the most powerful man in, in ancient Near East at this time, I mean, Egypt was the powerhouse of the day, um... It's interesting, by the way, study Egypt's history. When they are good to Israel, they flourish. When they persecute Israel, they, it's, a, it's a downward spiral of Egypt's history. It's very intriguing. What did God say to the nations? You bless Israel, I will bless you. You curse them, I will curse you. And after this event, Israel is, I mean, Egypt is decimated. Right? Not only do they have all the plagues they come out of, their entire army, the Pharaoh, is destroyed at the Red Sea, and the, Israel, the Israelites plundered them. <laughs> they took all the, the booty with them, right? All the gold they borrowed and the treasures they borrowed from their neighbors, they took with them. So, I mean, Egypt is done for. And by the way, that's really significant. They took all the gold because Pharaohs were buried with gold. Uh, so, I. I think it's quite humorous to me. There's nothing to bury the Pharaoh with because <laughs> they took it all. Um, so anyway, that's just a side note. But, and we're going to see this uh, as, as God unleashes all of this upon on Egypt. But for Moses to say, let the Israelites go out and worship Yahweh, that's a, a serious affront to the Pharaoh. If I do this, I'm toast. I'm not going to allow this to happen, right? And that, that's key. Well, the question, the million-dollar question that is in this text here as we look at this is, why would God cause someone to resist His will? This is there in your notes, too, by the way. And then hold that person accountable for the sin that He, that is God, prompted. In other words, I mentioned this in your notes, such scholars seem to portray a rather sadistic God who manipulates free moral agents as puppets. So how do you explain that? Help me out. Yes, Bill. The, the secondary agency is still the, the act of fear 
Okay. Okay. How else? It's interesting, though, so early on. I mean, even in verse 13, it says this is just how the Lord predicted. And, and even before Moses even encounters Pharaoh for the first time, I, I'll tell you, well, I, we'll get to it. Let's go on. Any other views? Uh, well, Pharaoh, he, he could let them go. He, you know, uh, he, he can make decisions here, but it almost as if he can't make a decision. God has already dictated and, and is going to oversee that every time Moses asks, Pharaoh will say no. Well, it was that would seem to be the case? Or is it? That's what I'm asking. I mean, how do you handle this? I, I've changed my view on this, by the way, studying this text this past week. So uh, I'll explain in a minute. You can disagree with me. Yes? Pharaoh will harden his heart three times in this whole scene. Well, my argument has always been, and I took this from some others like Kaiser and others who've argued, Pharaoh hardened his heart, then God hardened his heart. But studying again this passage in, in an article by Chisholm, uh, and it's cited here in your notes, Chisholm argues, and I think rightly so, God, the text first states God is hardening Pharaoh's heart way before Pharaoh hardened his heart. So that argument doesn't quite wash, and that's, that's the hard part, because that's the view I've always taken, was Pharaoh hardened his heart, and then, Mo, then God hardened it even further. Kind of like the Romans 1 principle, right? You want to seek after the things that aren't of the Lord? Then God says, fine, have at it. Uh, Paul? Very good. Okay. Love it. You've been reading some notes. <laughs> I like it. A good insight. Let's I tell you what. Let's look at this. Let's look at this. And I want to show a few things. And and again, you don't have to agree with me on this, but let me set the case up. First of all, as already has been noted, Pharaoh does harden his heart. However, backing up, Exodus makes it very clear that Yahweh himself hardens not only Pharaoh's heart, but the Egyptians. Right? That's mentioned there in your notes. I have the text for you. Uh, not only is there four explicit mentions, there are six indirect references that would also suggest, yes, Yahweh is the player. So is, is he the, the sadistic ruler that doesn't allow for people to make decisions? Um, and the hardening of the heart, you also need to know, has an enormous meaning in Egyptian culture. You know this. Some of you know this. Have you seen this? Um, let me show you. A, this is a very common uh, relief drawing. And what you have, this is there at the top of the next page of your notes, but you have Thoth and Anubis. 
Here's Anubis. Here's Thoth. And they are weighing what they call weighing the heart. It's the heart of the Pharaoh. That's the heart. That's a feather. If it's lighter than a feather, Pharaoh goes to the great beyond. Wonderful, right? However, if it's heavier than the feather, and that's due to sin and poor judgment, etc., etc., Amamet eats it, and that destroys his afterlife. It's very common. It was known throughout the Egyptian world, and it's called the weighing of the heart. Is it too heavy? Is it too hard? Very interesting. The heart was also seen, and this is there in your notes, as the all-controlling factor of history and society. Later, that's why the Egyptians will put a scarab in the place of the heart, and all of that that entails as well. And you've probably seen that with mummies, etc., if you've watched documentaries on Tutmos or on um, Tutankhamun or whatever. But the hardening the heart, this backdrop, this cultural backdrop, would have been clearly understood. This relief you'll see all over the place if you walk to Egypt. So knowing all this, what's going on? Let me give you several uh, assumptions or assessments here in your notes that we need to see. Number one, there in your notes. The Pharaoh of the Exodus did not walk into a vacuum. And what I mean by that is previous pharaohs were very cognizant of a Yahweh, of a God, of the Israelites. Uh, think of Joseph. He even, the pharaoh of, of, of that time frame, in fact, turn to Genesis chapter 41 verse 39. I want you to see this text. Uh, we sometimes think, oh, the pharaohs, they, you know, they worshipped all these gods. Uh, Genesis clearly shows that the kings of the earth are cognizant that there is a supreme being. I mean, think about the king of Salem, Melchizedek, right? He is a worshiper of Yahweh and a priest. And you go, well, how does that fit? He's not even an Israelite. Because God has revealed himself. They know. In Genesis chapter 41, after this whole thing with, uh, uh, with Joseph, Genesis 41 verse 39 Oh, the joy of trifocals, especially in the morning. All right. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, because God has enabled you to know all this, there is no one wise and discerning as you are. Whoa. So a Pharaoh at the time of Joseph, Somerset, understood there's a God. And so it's not as if he's ignorant this Amenhotep II or Ramses or whoever you take to be the, the Pharaoh of the Exodus, there is a, there's a recognition in, in history that there's someone. Secondly, Pharaoh is arrogant. How did God know all this? He had already seen Pharaoh's heart. <laughs> and, and this is where you could argue, yes, his heart was already hardened towards the things of the Lord. I, I could see that. Um, but chapter 5, verse 2 Remember that? Well, who's no? I don't know this Yahweh. I don't think that was stated as a, a statement of ignorance. I think it's a statement of, um, I don't care about this guy. And his own arrogance turned to Exodus chapter 10. We're, we're not going to walk through the plagues in our study of the life of Moses. Uh, so I'm kind of giving us an overview of, of the 10 plagues and how they fit in this equation. But 10 chapter 3 
Moses and Aaron came to Pharaoh. Thus saith the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, how long do you refuse to humble yourself before me? So Pharaoh is, and, and, and what does Scripture say about pride? What does God think of pride? <laughs> he hates it, right? Uh, he disdains it. And so when it comes to hubris, Pharaoh's got it. Not only that, there's clear disregard for God's glory. When Moses comes and says, I want to take the Israelites out three days' journey to go worship, what does Pharaoh say about the Israelites? He says it three times. They are a lazy lot. He poo-poos the idea of worshiping Yahweh. And we told you before, even in Egyptian culture, there's writings where slaves were allowed to go worship, take time off to go worship their gods. But not this God. In fact, the messenger of Yahweh, Pharaoh says, is a liar. Remember that? We looked at the text. So there is blatant disregard for the things of the Lord uh, from this Pharaoh. He's not one innocent bystander. And, and this is mentioned there in your notes, and we talked about this as well. Um, uh, Coover Cox, she's written an article called The Hardening of Pharaoh's Heart. It is excellent. Uh, and she interacts with this as well. Yes. Back to Genesis 41 for a second. But that word for God, when Pharaoh said, since God has informed you, it isn't the Lord, so it's not Yahweh. Well, you're right. Uh, is there a full recognition of, of, of this being the one true God? Uh, that, I think, could be debated. Just as the centurion, when he's standing at the foot of the cross, says, truly, this is the Son of God, I, I don't think necessarily has a full understanding of what that term means uh, would be there. But the recognition for a Pharaoh to say there is a God that's apart from me is enormous. And that's what this Pharaoh of the Exodus can't seem to get under his thick skull. There is someone outside of me or my connections as being the divine representative here on earth. And that's, that's the beauty of, of God saying to Moses, you're going to be like God. Right? Pharaoh thinks he's the God of, of Osiris and Ra. No, you're the God of Yahweh when you meet with him. When you speak, I'm speaking. Right? The, I mean, that's just huge. Uh, next, in your notes, six times, don't miss this, besides Pharaoh hardening his heart three times, six times God gives Pharaoh an opportunity to repent. You realize that? I, I, that blew me away. I, I, I guess I never saw that before, and it's there in your notes. Each time, Pharaoh refuses. In fact, in the seventh plague, God says, "If Pharaoh, if I wanted to, I could take your life right now. Right? Zoom. And Moses could say, yeah, I, I can testify to that. <laughs> right? Uh, I, I ride in there with you, Pharaoh. Uh, I, I got gotcha. you. Here's another. Yahweh had a greater purpose, and Paul was waxing eloquent on this, and that is so true. Turn to chapter 9. In the midst of these plagues that are being unleashed, from frogs to you name it, hailstorms, in 9, 15, and 16, for uh, by now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague, and you would have been destroyed from the earth. But for this purpose, this is God speaking, I have caused you to stand to show my strength and to, so that my name may be declared in all the earth. Don't miss that. I'd rather not be on that end of God's object lessons. 
<laughs> I'd rather be on the object lesson of, of, of uh, someone who's being obedient and God showing how God can use someone who's sold out to Christ. But dear sweet Pharaoh is still being used as an object lesson. Your hardness, I'm going to harden continually to show that I am Yahweh, not you. You do not. Again, it's this cosmic battle. I want you to see that. This is really um, the dark side versus the good, right? Uh, Star Wars has nothing new. Uh, furthermore, his hardening of Pharaoh's heart is an opportunity to display his power. They, they go similar and hand in hand. But uh, one is, to, is, is so that the people might know that truly this is Yahweh. It's interesting, in the plagues, and this is mentioned there in your notes, one scholar notes, the hardening allowed us to know more about Pharaoh, that is, he's one wicked fellow, and more about the Lord. Isn't that great? Um, put someone through life's testings and you will soon learn their true colors. Right? Um, I think of World War II and uh, some of reading some of the documents from German Christians who say, you really knew who was sold out to Christ <laughs> in the midst of when they're taking people away, etc. And, and you got to know your neighbors finally and who they really were. And that's the case here. And then finally, Pharaoh never feared Yahweh. And, and, and what do we base that on? Every time he yields, you know, the plague is unleashed, he, he somewhat yields, he quickly turns his heart back and says, no, wait, I'm not doing that. Uh, to sending out the army after the 10th plague to go wipe out the Israelites, right? Questions on these? Is this helpful? And you look at all of these? This isn't an innocent bystander, Pharaoh, right? And I think you're right. Uh, early on, He's already demonstrating his true heart. And so there in your notes, I state the Lord's hardening of Pharaoh's heart must be viewed in light of Pharaoh's sinfulness and his unwillingness to repent. Chisholm, in his article that's so well written, he states, whether accomplished directly or indirectly, this hardening was an element of divine judgment whereby God exhibited his justice and his sovereignty. The objects of such judgment were never morally righteous or neutral. I think that's the thing. You know, um, general revelation, that is what God has revealed in creation, condemns all people. Romans 1. That's why I don't care if you're from Tijuana, Timbuktu, or Tallahassee. When the day comes and you stand before the Lord, you will be held accountable. You say, well, I never heard the gospel. doesn't matter. General revelation has revealed it, that there is a God, and that will be sufficient to condemn because according to Romans 3, no one seeks after God, right? There is no innocent bystander. Yeah, Paul? David, I, I have a thought I'd like to share to get your perspective on that. So if I look at Sodom and Gomorrah, God waited and waited. He was patient for many, many years, and finally judgment happened. Similar to this same situation with 400 years of slavery for for the Israelite nation. But I also think of the influence of Sodom and Gomorrah along with the Egyptians to the Israelite nation and to the peoples of the earth. And I see it as a way of God's 
loving and protecting his people from these evil ways of the Egyptians and the Sodomites and the Gomorrahites, if you will. So it adds a different dimension to now God is a protective father of, of, of the people that he loved and created. The, I think you're right. Paul's saying it's a way of also protecting the Israelites uh, and, and keeping them from the sins of the Sodomites or the, those from Gomorrah or the Egyptians. Um, I don't think it's a coincidence that Moses is eventually yanked out of Pharaoh's palace and thrown into a wilderness, a desert. He needed some time to be trained by God. <laughs> uh, yeah, rock. Because he told Joseph it's going to be 400 years. And God in his timetable, it's already been set. <laughs> and, and I also think we can clearly see in Exodus is God's grace even to Egypt. You, you know, interesting, did you catch that in the text? It says, we just kind of, we're going to look at this in a minute, but in, going back to 7, did you see how old they are? Verse 7, Moses was 80 years old and Aaron was 83. I, I think the reason the, the author highlights that, besides an advertisement for Geritol, is to say, listen, listen, God has been gracious. Not only 400 years, but you've had 80 years since Moses was put in a basket. And the sin is now up to here. I've had it. Pharaoh is given more airtime than any rebel in the Old Testament. And the Exodus event is much longer than the whole Sodom and Gomorrah incident, which is really interesting. Uh, unfortunately, Pharaoh becomes exhibit A of a heart that's not in tune with the things of the Lord. And God says, fine. And so as Chisholm states in your notes, let me finish this. Divine hardening was never arbitrarily implemented we do not have a sadistic God. We do not have a God who is a puppeteer. Far from it. But He will utilize individuals and the propensity of towards sin, the worst thing that could ever happen, and, according to, and, and what I understand from Romans 1, is God to say, fine, have at it. And you will reap everything that it comes with it. And, and that can be true of nations as well. I pray that's not what's happening for us. Divine hardening was never arbitrarily implemented, but was in response to rejection to God's authoritative word or standards. God has spoken, and in fact, that's why he tells Moses, you will be like me when you appear before Pharaoh. This is how significant this is. Isn't that great? <laughs> Just, um, you know, you read the Old Testament, and, and people say, oh, I want the God of the new because it's about grace. Hey, this is grace. 400 years God's toyed with the, the Egyptians. And it's grace with the Israelites. They're not an innocent bystander here. They've been shaking their fists, remember? Earlier in chapter 6. And Moses is no stellar of a Sunday school candidate teacher. I mean, he's, he's far from a Bible teacher. I mean, come on. Not that I'm either, but I didn't leave with that. But I mean, uh, I mean, Moses is not one you, you, you say, hey, this is a great guy. Uh, no, not, not really. God's still got to work on this guy. In your notes, the revelatory title, the I am the Lord, which I highlighted earlier, uh, Dodd in his comma states, the entire redemptive history is 
composed into one great self-revelation of God. The same formula can apply to all the various manifestations of His power and authority. What are the ten plagues showing, ultimately? Who is God? Who is sovereign? And, and Pharaoh started that sequence of events when he said, well, who's God? Who knows Him? God says, well, let me show you. Kaboom. This is who's God. Yes. You said that something in your own mind changed this week. Or you well, great. Uh, it, the traditional argument on the hardening is that Pharaoh hardened his heart and then God then continued to harden. The problem I have is, as I studied this even further, is that very early on, God told Moses, I'm going to harden his heart. So before we even get to the sequence of events, God is already moving it. And I think this is a better handling of the text to say, no, uh, Pharaoh had already started to turn from the Lord. You, Bill, one, one more question. <laughs> yes. He does. And he talks about how he even mentions Pharaoh in Romans 9. That's right. That is, that is exactly true. Well, we close here this, this section of the text, and the message is delivered just as God had instructed. Finally, Moses and Aaron get it, and they convey it correctly, and that's there in your notes. And again, I mentioned the, the, the time frame being that they're 80, um, 83 is one to show that, I think, to show that God is gracious. And also, it's taken Moses this long to finally get it. <laughs> What does it mean to really be an obedient servant of God? Um, and also, by the way, um, Charles Ryrie used to tell me, you know, here he was 89 years old and he was still preaching. And uh, he said he would often quote this text to me and say, listen, there's no retirement in the Lord's service. No retirement. So uh, uh, not against golfing. But, uh, <laughs> uh, and, and you guys are here this morning, and, and just keep it up. Keep it up. No retirement. Uh, we are uh, here serving the Lord, and you got an 80 and an 83-year-old guy who's got a whole another what, 40 years uh, on the scene. Well, so what, Hoffman? It's thank you. Love that discourse on hardening of the heart. What does that mean for me? Uh, this morning. So let me give us a, a few things to walk away with here. Uh, number one, doubts concerning ourselves nor doubts about the Lord should hinder our obedience to the Lord. That's the real danger, isn't it, of uh, Moses? He, and we already talked about the problems of bringing Aaron into the equation. While that's great to have your sibling serving with you, that also created some problems down the road. Just ask Moses when you see him about Aaron and Miriam. And some of the difficulties that resided there. Ephesians 6 um, is a text that I even looked at Sunday morning. It's where Paul says, pray without ceasing the whole armor of God. He's gone through all of them. The one piece of armor that's not included in the, the Roman soldier is the shin guards. And the old statement is that's because the soldier, the Christian soldier, is on his or her knees praying. So they don't need a shin guard. And, and they're praying without ceasing. But the amazing thing with that text is Paul saying, pray for me. Pray that I'll have boldness. Pray that I'll deliver the message. And, and to me, that's amazing. 
you know, here's a guy that attacked hell with a water gun, you know, and he's saying, pray for me. Um, he struggled just like the rest of us. Read 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Doubts concerning ourselves or doubts about God should not hinder, um, uh, shouldn't hinder our obedience. Here's a second one to run with. No matter our talents and abilities or lack thereof, the spiritual results of any ministry is dependent on the Lord. Right? I don't care how great you can wax in front of a classroom or, you know, how you can exegete the text and hang the stars in the Milky Way, good for you. Luther said it, only the Word of God is entrusted to Moses, not the responsibility of making Pharaoh's heart soft or hard <laughs> by preaching. Isn't that great? Well, that's not our responsibility. That's up to the Lord. Thank goodness. Our responsibility is to preach teach, deliver the message. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, you can look at that text. Well, let's look at it just briefly, if you would. Turn to 1 Corinthians 4. I call 1 Corinthians First United States. <laughs> it has so many similarities to the problems we face in the church today, uh, so I jokingly call it 1 USA. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, one should think about us this way as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries. Now what is sought in stewards that one be found faithful. That's all he asks. Moses, all he asks is you to be faithful. You, you're, he's so concerned. What's he concerned about his, uh, his speech def deficiency? What does he tell us in chapter end of chapter 6? What's he concerned about his speech? That Pharaoh will not listen. That's not your responsibility, Moses. Your responsibility is to deliver it. I'll deal with the listening. In fact, I already told you he isn't, isn't going to listen. So get over it, right? <laughs> and then finally, nothing is outside the purpose of the Lord's will. Not even the heart of a king, not even an election. God's in charge, right? When you vote, remember that. God's in charge. Romans chapter 9, if you would turn there, this is the text that Bill was talking about. Romans 9, Paul relates what happened here and he says, um, 9.17, excuse me, 9.17, the text states, For the scriptures say to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I have raised you up that I may demonstrate my power to you and that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. You can go willingly or you can go kicking and screaming, but I will be exalted, says the Lord. Uh, you are not the divine representative. <laughs> I have not appointed you as such, Pharaoh. In fact, Moses will be as he stands before you. God is sovereign and God is gracious, right? And he's also patient. 400 years. And unfortunately, Mr. Pharaoh has missed the boat. Questions? Comments? Cries of outrage? Isn't this a great text? And a lot to walk away with and reflect on. We serve a great God. He is in charge. And he does not need us. He does not need the United States. Um, but he has seen fit to use us. And he has seen fit at least in the past, to bless this country. May he continue to do so for his glory. Right? So if the Pharaoh uh, 
at the beginning in 7, God says, I will harden his heart and he will not listen. In chapter 10, verse 13, at the end of the plagues, God said, it's just like I predicted. I've hardened his heart and he will not listen. No, because God, it, we just read that in seven thirteen. God has indicated this is exactly how it would unfold. So, no, at this point, the storybook's been written. It's been, the die has been cast. Father, thank you for your grace in our lives. Lord, uh, I know I, for one, don't deserve it. And um, there's times when I have gone kicking and screaming and serving you. Or like Moses, I, I look at some of these things and say, oh, you know, I, I'm not there. And yet you've seen fit to, to, to use us despite that. And, and we're just so grateful. Lord, uh, we're no better than the Israelites. In many ways, there's a lot. We're a lot like the Egyptians, and yet you continue to shower your grace on us. Lord, help us to be found faithful servants of you. And thank you that the end result, the spiritual so-called success, that resides with you. And we are so thankful that it's not dependent on how eloquent we speak or the way we deliver. Uh, we have just been called to be ambassadors. And so we pray to that end. Thank you for these men. Thank you for them carving time out of their busy schedule. Be with them today. Go before them in Jesus' name. Amen.